Eagles Entertainment. Hi, this is Doug Peterson, and you're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast with Dave Spadaro. Hello, Eagles everywhere, and welcome to the Eagles Insider Podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Insider Dave Spadaro with you, and what we're trying to do here as the Eagles inch closer to the scouting combine in Indianapolis is let you get to know the new coaching staff. And last week we had Matt Burke, fascinating story of that renaissance man who now coaches the Eagles defensive line and the defensive run game coordinator. In this episode of the Eagles Insider Podcast, we will meet Eagles secondary coach Marquand Manuel, a former player, a longtime coach, somebody who is intense. The Eagles defensive backfield, certainly the ratcheting up of the intensity in 2020. We'll also speak with former Eagles cornerback Lito Shepard, a former teammate of Manuel's at the University of Florida, and we'll catch up with Lito a little later in the show. And then after that, we're going to go off the field, something entirely different, and we're going to talk to Patience and Alex, a couple that came together in the wake of an unspeakable tragedy. The Bond, Love, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Stay tuned for that. Let's begin, though, with a visit to the Eagles secondary and new coach, Marquand Manuel. One of the new coaches with the Philadelphia Eagles, coaching the Eagles defensive secondary. We welcome in to the Eagles Insider Podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group, Marquand Manuel. Welcome to Philadelphia. Hey, thanks for having me. You are you are a football lifer, aren't you? I am. Uh, what, 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 when did you fall in love with the game? People won't really take this, but probably 85. Okay. And what, at what age? I was I just turned six. Why? I was watching a Monday night football game, and I was watching William Perry. The Fridge? The Fridge. It's crazy, man. A Miami guy watching William Perry, and I just, I don't know, it was my dad, he liked the Bears, so it was kind of... I'm watching the game, and I seen football, but to watch the way they played, and it was like Walter Payton, but then you seen the fridge, and everybody went crazy, and believe it or not, that was the first position I ever played. And here, you were a defensive tackle. I played nose guard. <laughs> How big? What now? So we all know youth football. Youth football. Were you a large? No, I, I actually only played uh, one year of youth football, and my. Career at nose guard lasted about three weeks. <laughs> I was about 12, well, turning 13, and I was playing with a, I think we were like maybe like 130 pounds, 130 pounds at the time, and I was like 72 soaking wet. Yeah. <laughs> and The small, tough guy. Well, you, you you don't know any other position. That's all I ever, you know, in in the street, we played Sandlock. So, you know, you played, I was Randall Cunningham, okay. ran around throwing the ball. Thank you. And um, after that, it was more... I wanted to be aggressive, so that's what the fridge was. So it was the physical part of the game that really fell got you going? With, fell in love with it. Then yeah. you started watching as I became, that lasted. They saw me run sprints, and I turned into, okay, moving the running back, moving the wide receiver. He can throw, and the rest of my career until I got to maybe college. I played quarterback. Speaking of college, as we get to know Eagles secondary coach Marquand Manuel, had a chance earlier to speak with the great Lito Shepard, former Eagles cornerback, and this is what he had to say about you, meeting you, and what 
everybody knew you would become? Oh, we knew he was going to be a coach, hands down. One day, like, it was just, if if he wouldn't have been a coach, it would have been a a conspiracy. Because (laughs) that guy knew the playbook better than the coach. I mean, he's going to bring a lot of passion. He's going to bring a lot of expertise. And honestly, I think it's just fundamentals, uh, just getting them back to the basis, uh, giving them an identity that they can uh, grow with, have fun with, and embrace. Um, he really reminds me of Brian Dawkins with the enthusiasm and the energy that he approaches each day with. Um, and I think that he will definitely uh, transfer some of that to those guys. So that is Lito Shepard, your former teammate at the University of Florida. How'd you meet Lito? I was his host. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, so people that don't know, when you come in, to, uh, you visit schools, and a lot of guys are doing it, just had the signing day. So you go on a visit, and the parents and the athlete are put with an athlete that's currently there. And I was into my second year, and they were like, at my position, he played defensive back. And, you know, I was the leader at the time, and they were like, well, we have a guy coming in that we really want to get to come to this school. And, you know, it was like, he's thinking about committing, but, you know, we want you to meet his mom. And so you get a chance to have dinner with him, and you basically take him around and show him places. And I remember um, meeting his mom, and his mom was like, how are you in school? She was asking me about my – and at that time, I was – I graduated in two and a half years. Right, so, you were an academic, yeah, all, all, all SEC all academic. SEC all SEC academic. Years, so yeah. when I was explaining it to her, she was just like, she started focusing in on, he needs to hang with you. Like, <laughs> he needs to be around you. She was like, I, I said one of the things, I said, well, I had a plan when I came to college. My plan was to win the national championship, which didn't happen, but that was my plan, and to graduate in three years. And after that, hopefully get a shot at playing in the NFL. And... Where I come from, that's really not something new, but it's very hard to accomplish. One, getting a degree that fast. Two, being a guy that came from poverty to now get an opportunity to take care of his family. So she was like, and the rest of the, tr- the visit, it was like hand in hand. So when he committed, it was more like, all right, let me see what he's really about. Because they actually played a championship game in our stadium in high school. So we seen him, but Lito, what you guys got to get to see. He came in, punt returner first, and his work ethic was one of those of when you sit down, you look at a guy like, ah, he's talented, but he doesn't want to work hard. He came in, he worked hard. Always kept that little smile on his face. And I always tell people this, and I used to call him Lucky Lito. I'm like, man, I need to be like you. He was like, what? I said, man, the ball just finds you. He was like, but he came in, played as a true freshman, and the rest was was. You guys saw it. First yeah. round draft pick. Great play. It, incredible. You uh, you came from a family with 18. That's one, eight, 18 children. You have 17 siblings. Yes. And you made it, Marquand. Why did you make it? Why did you make it from, as you said, from poverty, a, a lifetime of football success? Well, I'll say one thing. Um, God has always uh, had his hand in my life. Um, and it's not same mom and dad, so I put that out there. My mom always kills me when I talk about it. <laughs> but... Um, my mom had kids before she met my dad. My dad had kids prior uh, prior marriage. They had kids together. And then after uh, the divorce, my dad had more kids. So that nucleus basically built me. And I say that um, from the standpoint of, you know, we talk about poverty now, but at the moment, I didn't know what it was. You know, I just knew that, all right, 
we had to struggle here and there. Some things, I, I my wants, I didn't have. My needs were taken care of. So I really think just from that, I knew education and football was my ticket to get out of where, what I seen every single day. I had older siblings that went to college. My Actually, my brother's, uh, one of uh, his teammates was Deion Sanders. So my oldest brother, half-brother, went to Florida State. So it was like, okay, somebody can do it. Uh, didn't make it to the NFL, but my second sibling in line that was a male, he ended up going to the military. So it was more like, and then I had the other few that I can't really talk about that ended up doing other things. But I really think that it helped shape and mold me. And when you say that, the different personalities that you had to deal with on a daily basis, the age differences, they kind of live vicariously through me, but I also live through them on mistakes that they made and things that they actually accomplished. So for me, it was more, all right, you have the blueprint. It's up to you to mess it up. And I take that every morning I wake up. What is the lesson for young people who, whatever they're doing in life, may not see that glimmer of hope? I say the one thing is, and people talk about what is success. And I break it down to its simplest form. Every day that you wake up, take one step closer to conquering your goal, whatever that may be. Maybe that might be getting an A. If I want to be on the news, if I want to work in L.A. and make movies, what are you doing honestly in that one day? No one else, just you. What are you doing? It might be reading a book. It might be actually looking at, you know, we all Wi-Fi everywhere we go now. So it might be jumping on the Internet to inquire about what are the steps that I need to take and not be discouraged when it's not a big jump or you have a setback. So what you're saying is, and we will get into the coaching here because it all links together, the success in life, in your football career. You've made a lifetime of playing football and coaching football. That to go from A to Z, the steps don't have to be significant, but just go from one letter to the next. One letter to the next. Yeah. And I, I really say that, and it's the, the way that I was raised and the way that it helps you from the time that you may have an injury in a sport or from the time where you might not have got the grade that you wanted to get or the classes were extremely hard or a tragedy happened in my life. I always said life is really, and I know people talk about this part, really 10% of what happens to you, 90% of how you respond and react. You played at the University of Florida. You played eight years in the NFL. You've been a coach. You've been fired. You've been hired. You've been cut. You've been signed. You have thick skin, right? I mean, like, you have to have the thick, rhinoceros thick skin to make it in this world of football, don't you? I always had the baseball mentality. We can't really have it in football, but they get up and a guy goes three for ten. He's almost a Hall of Famer. And in life, I really believe that's how it happens. Everything that happens is not by accident. It was a purpose. So what my purpose is and finding out, I'm built off of what my failures were. The fear, of, the fear of failing, that's a challenge. So now you take that and encompass it with everything else that you try to acquire, I'm going to study harder. I need to enhance a little more. Maybe I might need to do a little less of something. Do you really self-evaluate after things like that happen? How can you re respond after getting cut, after getting fired, things of that nature? I always said, well, 
God, what do you want me to see from this? Because apparently either I did something great or I did something wrong. What do you want me to see? It's a vision that you have to make sure that you take the time out. And a lot of people don't like doing this. And really self-evaluate. Don't listen to anyone else. Really self-evaluate. And that's how I am. That's how I get here today. When we heard from Lito, he mentioned Brian Dawkins. Listening to you, and we only met yesterday, um, you, you sound a little, you're, you're, there's a bit of preacher, if you will, in you. Is that the way you're going to, do you feel like you relate to players, like they'll listen to you? Do today's players want to hear that from a coach? Well, you know what? I was always, um, and take my hat off the B-Doc. Um, we all do. Leslie Frazier was my coach my second Love year Leslie in Frazier. Cincinnati. And the first thing he came to me and said was that you need to just watch Brian Dawkins. That's it. That's all he said to me. He was like, just watch him every single snap. And I tried to pattern my career and my life after what he did. Played the same position, the way he was passionate about it. I, he would let me see his practice clips. He didn't even let me see his game clips. He was just like, watch his practice clips. And it took. I practiced hard, like Lito said. I, I practiced hard, but I had to take it to another level. Now, am I trying to perfect the day? Or am I trying to just get it out of the way? So I think when I started coaching and I got into it just by God said that I really like Lito. <laughs> this guy might be a good coach. Coaches used to say that. And after I finished playing, I was like, you know what? I'm done with the football game. I'm going to go live life. And God knocked on my door. He said, I gave you a talent, the ability to lead men. And, you know, it's funny that people always say that, man, you sound like you're preaching, but you're just leading. And I say leading from not always what I say, but by my actions. And how do I do that? Every day that you wake up, are you living God-like? Are you living that way? What, what does that mean? That means, am I talking about the Bible every second? No. Am I getting up every day, being a man of my word, going extremely hard? Am I disciplined and diligent in what I'm asked to do? professionally and personally, am I doing those things? And that in tune, when I walk in the room, and now, how you say I'm a lifer, the, the, the love that you get from guys when you have played this game and been in the trenches um, is amazing. I got a text, not to get off subject, from one of the players who was a practice squad, now he's in the league. I'm not going to mention his name. But that's why we do this. And I go in, every man that I sit in the room with, Someday I'm going to be accountable for what did I do with you. So when you have that passion and energy, is it going to always go great? It's a 90-man roster. Everybody can't stay. However, you can lead this guy to live his life in this league because you, I've done it, going from place to place just with an opportunity to play. And that's all you ask. And at the end of the day, we're, would Marquand Manuel want to be coached by Marquand Manuel? And that's, I carry that to my heart every single day. When you played at the University of Florida, SEC, did you appreciate the um, experience of playing in front of 80, 90, 100,000 screaming fans, you know, the cradle of the most rabid college football fans in America? Uh, and Lito could attest to this. When I got to the NFL, and, you know, your first game is a preseason game, and it's quiet. You're like... Where you, is everybody? <laughs> where is everybody? So you have to get yourself... You're only playing maybe one or two series, if that. I used it as a tool to know that playing in the SEC, no knock against any other conference, but at the level of when I came in, Florida had expectations of going back-to-back. -back. 
So I wouldn't say pressure. It was the expectations of that I didn't want to let my teammates down and the fans and the crowd and the moment. You started to do this. When you did get to the NFL, everything was quiet because of those experiences. Interesting. Uh, you get drafted by Cincinnati 2002, sixth-round draft pick. Do you? I know you do. Where were you when your name was called? I was uh, – it's funny, man. I talk about this all the time with my son. Me and Andre Johnson are really good friends, and a lot of people don't know this. I was sitting outside my brother's driveway. He stayed next door to my, one of my older brothers, and I was sitting in the truck outside. He was going into his junior year, the year he blew up. They won the national and all that happened. And I was sitting there. He was like, what you going to do? And I, 21 safeties already went before me. And I said, I don't know. I had two degrees. So it was like, I said, well, I just go do what I've always done. And that's take the next step to wherever God's leading me. And he was like, man, that's why I always loved you. And my phone rings. Oh, 44, Dick LeBeau. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're about to call your name. And I just sit there and I looked at him and I was like, it's Cincinnati. They drafted me. Greatest moment of your professional life? I tell people all the time. Uh, I'm in, definitely indebted to Dick LeBeau. Uh, even now, I still talk to him to this day. And the things that he showed me, not only on the field, but off the field, how to carry myself, um, I take my hat off to him. And I said, that moment right there changed my life. Eight seasons with the Bengals, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Panthers, the Broncos, the Lions. You have seen a lot of the NFL as a, as a player. We haven't even gotten to the coaching side. What did you learn during those eight, eight years? What, what do you kind of think you've carried forth with you through your life? Uh, the first one, don't take it for granted. Um, when you walk in, I was with Cincinnati the first year we went 2-14, and 14, had a coaching change, which happens. Again, you, how do you deal with it? And walking in, what did I take from it? The relationship with LeBeau, I can go down the list, Richmond Webb, Corey Dillon, Keo Spikes. You're walking in the locker room of men. Then Marvin comes in, Matt Leslie. Different cha- What can I take from it? God, what do you want me to see? Um, then I go to Seattle where I met Ray Rhodes. And oh, that's when I tell Ray everybody. Rhodes. I tell everybody this, and I think they don't know it, but when I first got there, it was kind of weird because Ray came at me like, what did you do wrong? And I was like, what did I do wrong? I can't say exactly. Everybody knows oh, Ray. I, know Ray I can't Rose. say, I can't cannot, say what I really want to say. You can never quote Ray yeah, Rose verbatim. That, that verbatim, you can't <laughs> do that. But he was like, because you're a really good player. And I was like, I said, I just did my job every day. And he was like, well, I tell you what, if you want to be great, I'm here every day at 5. If you want to meet me at, after you have your breakfast at 5.15, I did that every day I was in Seattle with Ray. And I also went in on Tuesdays. And that's why I really first fell in love with coaching and the ability to to be able to do it. I sat in the room, and he told me, don't talk. As they game plan, and I just sat in the corner every Tuesday morning just to hear how they game plan, how they prepare, how they got ready. And I think just from that, being able to now find a vocal leader on the field, I know what that looks like. You know, it's a guy that sometimes go out there, and some guys talk too much. And when I'm saying that, they're saying a lot of words and not meaning anything. But if you say the right information at the right time, that kind of propelled me when I went from locker room to locker room. It's like roster changing rosters. So what would you do between – So first of all, I, I, we've got a bunch of time here. This is great. You're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, you, you, 
at that time had an appreciation. Players, I believe, don't really understand, appreciate how hard it is to be a coach. They think they, they work hard as players, no doubt. But a coach, it's like a totally different level. You had a sense of that as a player. Yes. That helped you a lot as you start your coaching career in 2012 in Seattle? Yep, it did. So I went to the East West Shrine, Senior Bowl, passing out my resume to get an internship. That's all I asked for. I just didn't want anything else. I wanted an internship. Don't have to pay me or anything. I just really want to see if this is what God's calling really is on my life. And I met Pete Carroll. I flew out to Seattle, thought they had something for me. They didn't. Um, John Snyder, uh, another guy who's detrimental to my career uh, from the coaching standpoint, met him in Green Bay as the assistant GM, a uh, real relationship. And I, Dan Quinn and Will Muschamp were at Florida. I might as well go back to my alma mater. And they didn't really have much, um, so I was an intern that worked in the weight room. I tell people this all the time. And I was, like, basically a, a QCGA that really couldn't coach on the field. So 2011, that's what I did. QCGA is Quality Controlled Graduate Assistant. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I did that. And because I interviewed well in Seattle, when a special team assistant coaching job came open, God blessed me, and I took myself out there, and the rest— with the Legion of Boom. Yes. You know, when they played um, here, I guess it was the 2014 season, when you were there, um, Super Bowl teams, all, you know, just... I remember watching, it was Chip Kelly's team, I think it was 2014, and you guys played at Lincoln Financial Field. Yep. And I remember seeing how much camaraderie, energy, um, everybody had each other's back on the sideline. It was such a different level that... It really impressed me. What was it like being there? What did you learn from that esprit de corps, that that confidence that everybody played with? And everybody believed in each other. Well, you know what? That was that was the common theme that, you know, coming from Coach Carroll, he started it just like here. Yeah, when I walked in, I told Doug the same thing. I said the energy that you walk in with, I said I competed against Doug but as a coach, but I had never met him. And that energy and passion when you meet a man, a man amongst men, uh, Pete had that. And he basically gave the coaches the and the players that same energy and love. You had guys like Cliff Averill, who I played with in Detroit. So when I came in and I spoke to guys, they understood that I was coming from the perspective of coaching, but I also played. And to understand that there's one common goal at the end. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about us. And preaching that every single day. Like some people talk about that. But in the days that it's not going good, can you look a man in his face and say, this is what we need to do? And that's what we had. That's why you saw the energy, the love, the passion when it was dog days that we bounced back. So um, I always tell it, like even today, when I even text Cam, it's almost the relationships that you build from that part, it helped me with my coaching. Because for me, I'm a young guy coming into coaching, the transformation between playing and coaching, that was a nice transition. Interesting. So you go from Seattle, D-backs coach, all, all, all through life, Atlanta Falcons, uh, secondary coach 2015-2016, uh, Super Bowl appearance with the uh, Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator. Um, how was the Super Bowl? I know probably the most difficult moment of your life, having a big lead against the Patriots and losing it. Uh, share, the, share it if you could. Oh, I can, share, I can share all of it. Um, I had lost the Super Bowl prior. And that had a lot to do with me coaching, too. I got hurt against Pittsburgh when we when I was in Seattle. I never get hurt. 
crazy freak accident. I hit Hiram Ward on the sideline, and I run into one of the trainers, and I tear my groin. In that process, for me, going into the opportunity of being able to go to a Super Bowl, most people don't get that in their lifetime. To having won one, lost one, and won one in New York with Seattle, lost one on the one-yard line, to come back to have the lead, and we lose the game. I remember in the locker room, everybody were was was distraught. And me, again, I tell you, life for me is what you learn from the experiences that you had prior. Having won it and lost it, you understand that it's a teachable moment that everyone in this room must learn from. And that's what I did. I learned from that moment, understanding that it's never over, and people say until it's over. Are you doing the detailed things to get you back to that level? Did we do everything? No, we didn't. Did we execute at the highest level? Everyone says the New England, you know what they do? They actually go out and execute the same. True champions do the ordinary things right all the time, not sometimes. But do you think people have it in them innately to recover emotionally? It, they may not even know that they have it in them. They may, not, they may feel that they can't come back from such a devastating moment. Well, that's why you have coaches and men like me. You have to have somebody that you sit there and, and you know, have a visual leader, but also have someone that's going to tell you the truth. If we soak on what happened, we're never going to get prepared. If we would have won, would you have soaked on it and not got prepared for the following season? So you have to take that from that standpoint and approach the room the same way. 2017 season, early 2018, January of 2018, you're with the Atlanta Falcons. You come to Philadelphia, and the Philadelphia Eagles are rolling. Nobody is sitting down at Lincoln Financial Field. The crowd is going crazy. Eagles beat the Falcons, go on to win Super Bowl 52. Did you have a feeling about, did you have any sense Did you leave Philadelphia saying, man, that organization, that fan base, that football team has it going on? Uh, these fans are amazing. I got to give it to them. Uh, you, you hear it before the games. Um, when you walk in, it was, uh, you know, I play here, like you say, I play here and I also coached on the opposing team. So, you know, everything is anti Whatever you are, know. you know, and hey, um, we're animals here. It it was uh it was Welcome a to the team exactly. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. I am now an right. eagle, and um you can you say this. They're passionate about it, and they love it, and that's that's the honest truth about it. And you you have to desire that. You know, the fans in Seattle were great. You have to desire that part of it, and they do. So you want to go out and, like I said, put the best product on the field every single moment. No matter what it is, where it is, or who it is, you want to put the best product on the field. So I think from that standpoint, knowing how the, we played and it came down to the wire both times that the last two years that I've coached here, um, you had the sense of, like I said, when I met Doug, I went against the competitor, but it was finally my chance to meet him. So I was like, you know, take my hat off, shake his hand, like, man, listen, I know how you compete and I love it. How was it for you being a defensive coordinator? How was the experience? What was it like standing up in front of a large group of men as opposed to a smaller group in the defensive secondary? Um, the hardest part was leaving the room. Um, you know, when you're a leader of men, and I always talk about this, even when we're defending passes, being in lead position. Um, that's what I was, and I had told every guy that before when I got accepted the position, I called all the the players in my room, and I told them, I said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, and I can't leave you guys, but all I'm doing now, I'm in lead position, and that's the difference. So from that standpoint, you now are 
the leader. Everyone's following you. Not only the players, the coaches are following you as well. So you got you have to lead by example. You have to be diligent enough to do the small job. No job is too big or too small to make everything work. And I think from that standpoint, you learn a lot. Um, you're in position to be in meetings that you weren't in before. Um, and Lito kind of said it. I, I kind of always was that guy that was diligent in detail and everything that I did. So it was just more of gaining the experience of sitting up, sitting back, listening to Chris Richard real, real close and uh, sitting there, taking the notes from Dan and able to talk to Ken Norton and the guys that have done it before me, hitting Ray Bob up. And guys have done this before you. So understanding that success going to come and failure will as well. So it was, it was, a, it was one of those things that I learned a lot. What was last year like? You didn't coach. I didn't. What'd you um, do? Spent time with the family, man. How was it? It was awesome. It was a blessing in disguise. I prayed that when I left, um, we left on good terms. I told Dan I still love him, and decisions need to be made, and they were. And one of the things that people have to understand in life, again, I tell you when we first started, how you respond or react to everything that happens. Most people thought that I didn't want to coach again. The biggest thing for me was that it wasn't my time yet. I did a couple interviews. It's a musical chair game that happens when the musical chairs, when all the chairs get full and it's none for you, what happens? So I, I took the time out and the first time in almost 17 years that I really been off to take it, the time out to be with my mom who's getting older. Now, not only that, evaluate what just happened. All right, two things you can do. You can harden your heart to the truth or you can actually look at the reality of what really happened. Okay, the reality of what really happened. You had success, and then it didn't happen after that. What failed? What did you try to do too much of? What you did What you did too less of? And I said this, our business is based on relationships. And the way that you come in and the relationships that you have and the trust that you can build, you know what, M, always continue to still be passionate and enjoy what you do, but now understand the mistakes that were made in that process. And I think that I've grown a lot from it. And it wasn't, it was... And I, I asked my kids before I came back, did you really want dad to go back? And then my kids gave me the blessing. And I think for me, that was huge because of I'm a family guy. So that was huge to you like, dad, we know you love it. And you said it when you started. I love this game of football. Did you go crazy on Sundays? You know what? Um, and did you watch football? No, I'll tell you exactly what I did, man. Um, on Sundays, we were recovering because my son played football for the first time. And... I would have his recovery. Cool. I had his recovery set. It. Yeah, I had his recovery set up, and it was funny. Like he was like, "Dad, what are you?" Doing? I'm like, "I have to teach <laughs> you." Um, taught him his recovery, and what we would do is homework. So I would record every game. So I had every game, and then I would come back on Mondays when I dropped him off to school. I would come back, and now I do my lead research studies, and I now studied the lead. Um, didn't have to be talked about. So I always say this: iron sharpens iron. And how do you stay equipped? You have to make sure that you're seeing the next wave of what's happening. So I kept a log on everybody. And this is the first time I saw a coach in the airport. I'm not going to mention who it was. I was flying back maybe like a month ago. And he was like, so what are you doing? Same question. I said, well, for the first time in the offseason, we get so bombarded with free agency, draft picks, things of that nature, self-scouting ourselves or self-scouting our, our opponents that's coming up the next year. I had For the first time, I had an opportunity to self-scout everyone mm. without it rushing at the luxury right of being up your alley, isn't it? right up my alley yeah. and being detailed. So it was amazing, man. I, I, I say this, I miss leading men. Uh, that's one thing because I love the game. And 
I told him, I said, if you thought that I was motiv highly motivated then, <laughs> just imagine now. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. We've talked for about 30 minutes here, and I'm going to tell you this. I believe Eagles uh, guys in the secondary be ready to work um, and to be on, be, be on point because nothing else will be tolerated. That's it. Accurate? Give me your best yeah. every single day. I'm going to give you mine. What will you say when you stand up in front of the guys for the first time? Do you know yet? What will your message be to this Philadelphia Eagles defensive back group? The first thing, for those that have been here, I commend you on your success. And I say it all the time, everyone has a story. Now, with that, we need to create our own. And that's how I start. It's very difficult as we close this up, Marquand, these days. The, the rules have changed so much. What works now for cornerbacks? What, I mean, <sighs> well, you know, that's how do you the, teach it? That's the thing, man. Uh, everything is about the football. Um, and if you make sure that Everything that you're doing, even in preparation of in-ball combat, what I call ball combat moments when the ball is in the air, you have to get the football. It won't be pass interference if we're both getting the football. If we incidentally contact, that's a whole different game. But you have to make sure that your mindset is on the football. No matter what call, every call that Coach Schwartz makes is to get the football. Yeah, I mean, be ready to work, guys. Uh, come in and be ready to be great for the Philadelphia Eagles in the defensive backfield in 2020. Marquand Manuel, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks for so having great me. to meet you. Awesome job. I mean, I'm inspired. I'm fired up. Can you can you make something out of me? Hey, Not really. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Eminem is his name. Marquand Manuel, the new secondary coach for the Philadelphia Eagles here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. We thank Marquand for his time, his energy, and what a great story. Looking forward to seeing what he does. In the Eagles defensive backfield this year. Now let's hear from Lito. More from Lito Shepard. We heard the clip earlier. Now let's dig in deeper and find out as much as we can about Marquand Manuel through the eyes of former Eagles cornerback, the great Lito Shepard. The Eagles have hired Marquand Manuel as the new secondary coach, and he comes with a history, and that history dates back to the University of Florida. An outstanding player there and a teammate of former Eagles cornerback Lito Shepard, who joins us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Lito, first, how are you doing early in this 2020 year? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, I guess we can start off the year with Coach Reed, you know, former head ball coach, winning the Super Bowl shortly, but... Um, you know, we've been doing good. I've been doing pretty good, standing in, in the midst of uh, all the new transactions, but uh, just ready, you know, for some football. I, I last saw Lito as we went to the pep rally prior to the Eagles-Miami game uh, in December, and uh, great to see you. You look great, and I'm here to talk about Marquand. Yes, yeah, that, that, thank you very much. It was a good time. All those Eagles fans, as usual, amazing on in the support of this team on the road um you you know marquand very well in fact from what i understand he hosted you at the university of florida when you went there on a recruiting visit from Rains high school tell me what kind of host marquand was marquand is probably the most prototypical player uh that you can act for as a coach um when when i when i met him and i call him eminem but uh when i met marquand he was like uh he was almost like a uncle, <laughs> you know, um he was always the more mature guy, um always led by examples, um was the hardest worker, was the smartest guy in the classroom. I mean, it was hard to mimic 
his drive and his ability and, 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 and what he stood for and how he approached the game. But uh, Eminem really kind of uh, helped me mentality-wise uh, get focused and more, a lot more mature, I, honestly, when I got to Florida. <laughs> he sounds like the kind of guy who, even at that age, you could kind of see in a leadership role. Is that correct? Oh, we knew he was going to be a coach, hands down. One day, like, if, if he wouldn't have been a coach, it would have been a, a conspiracy because <laughs> that guy knew the playbook better than the coach in college, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, he, he's always been that type of leader. He's always uh, been focused. And um, I just knew, uh, you know, at that time when I first met him, I mean, we always called him coach, you know, on the, on, on the field and everything. So, you know, it was just uh, a, a time that, you know, we're just waiting on it. But he was always going to be the coach, and uh, we knew that. And Em is just a great person. In general, Lito, what do you think he will bring to the Eagles? You know, these cornerbacks are some young guys here. They're, I'm sure, over the course of time here, adding some players. If you are a young defensive back working for Marquand Manuel, what can you expect from him? I mean, he's going to bring a lot of passion. He's going to bring a lot of expertise. And honestly, I think it's just fundamentals, uh, just getting them back to the basis. Uh, giving them an identity that they can uh, grow with, have fun with, and embrace. Um, he really reminds me of Brian Dawkins with the enthusiasm and the energy that he approaches each day with. Um, and I think that he will definitely uh, transfer some of that to those guys. Um, he's had a lot of good success coaching in the league, um, you know, when he was in Atlanta. And those guys were playing pretty good in the secondary. And uh, just by him being uh, pretty young and youthful and even to a certain extent hip to new things and new ways of uh, getting the best out of your players, I really think this is a, a perfect match for him, honestly. And I'm really looking for uh, great things out of the secondary this year. When you first met him, Lito, as he hosted your visit, uh Fun guy at all? Did he? What did he do to relax? How did he? How did he unwind and and have a good time? You know, um, it's, it's it's all about just getting the bases out the way and and enjoying things from there. Um, he's not lame by any means, or you know, stuck up where he doesn't enjoy what he does. Um, it's just the way he incorporates having fun along with being super serious about being perfect and doing the job at hand. Um. I think he's gonna um, really change the 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 confidence level in that room, just with a different mentality and approach to uh, getting the best out of him. That sounds great. Well, now that you know he's here, you come back. We expect to see you around Philadelphia a whole lot in the 2020 Eagle season. Well, I'll tell you this: <laughs> I, I, I am um, actually gonna try to go through the NFL to get an internship uh, this coming up. Um, training camp and hopefully that that'll go through and I can get out there and, and you know have some camaraderie and, and, and learn some things and help out a little bit but I am looking forward to kind of getting back involved and hopefully that that works out hey man that would be great Lito thank you so much Lito Shepard an Eagles legend we thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast Hi, I'm Fran Duffy, host of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and each week I will take you inside the playbook and break down the X's and O's of every Eagles game day. Every snap tells a story. The Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, we're going to have you covered. Come and join and subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. In 2016, in Orlando, Florida, 
a tragedy, well, unlike what we've seen in the United States, it was just absolutely awful. More than 100 people injured or killed. And through all of that, a love story emerged. So let's kind of go away from the football field now and into the world, the real world, where love conquers all. And now for something entirely different here on the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. We here at the Eagles are going beyond our normal boundaries and our Eagles Entertainment Productions introducing what we have put together. It's called Sincerely Patience. And it's the story of love. And it starts with tragedy. 2016, the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Just unspeakable tragedy. More than 100 people killed or severely injured. One of the survivors is with us, Patience Carter, and uh, a young man by the name of Alex Murray, uh, his sister killed at the Pulse nightclub. Both of these people are huge Eagles fans. And this is a story of how the Philadelphia Eagles tragedy and love all come together. And I welcome in Patience Carter and Alex Murray to tell their story, uh, which starts with an email that Patience wrote to the Philadelphia Eagles uh, after you guys started dating, fell in love, and wanted to have your wedding at Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah. Remarkable yeah. story. <laughs> great And a great three-part series available on SincerelyPatience.com. I watched it. I loved it. I recommend it for everyone. Uh, what gave you the idea, let's go back to the beginning here, of writing the Philadelphia Eagles? Okay, that was a great summary, by yeah. the way. And yeah. um, honestly, we were, I... I mentioned this before. I didn't care where we got married at as long as I was getting married to this man right here. So I, I thought about, like, what would be a good place for him to make it special for him as well. So I thought about a football field. And at first I thought something small, like his high school or, like, college. And then Alex came to me and was like, well, what about the Eagles? I'm just like, nah, there's no way that's happening at all. But he had enough faith for the both of us. So we decided to just write an email, explain what our idea was, and... They really loved the idea, and they said yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, let's talk about, first of all, I mean, we have so many topics here. <laughs> Love of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Uh, how deep? I can't even explain. It's almost a religion to us, so <laughs> I can't. So, like, back in the days of Donovan McNabb? Is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, from, I, from, I grew up from on me, Donovan, yeah, yeah, Donovan, Brian Dawkins, Jeremiah Trotter, Deuce. Sean Jackson came to my school once. Yeah, Did so. he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, in the in the piece in the documentary, um, you came to a training camp practice last week, and you guys were like little kids. Like, yeah. Like I can't believe oh, yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah. so awesome. Yeah. I thought you were gonna, Alex. I thought you were gonna try to run on the field. I, I swear, and, and I give was. It a shot. I was. Deuce would have gave me the okay. I would have. <laughs> no, you're, like, you're like, no, that's man's work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even before that, like th this is such a tragedy. What happened in Orlando, mm -hmm. patience. Um, you know the mental s stress that you have gone through being injured, your leg really severely injured, yeah. and Alex losing a sister. Um, how, for, for the lesson for those who are struck by tragedy, how do you, how do you beat it? Honestly, you just can't let it get the best of you because it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to be those nights where you cry and it feels like the world is against you and everything is over. But you just have to really just hang on because we get so close to these moments where we're so close to just being happy and then something terrible happens and then we just want to give up everything. But you have to keep pushing forward to your destiny. Yeah, well, I mean, Alex, yeah. do you still wake up? I mean, obviously missing your sister mm -hmm. every single day. Yeah, I do every day. Patience will tell you, I miss my sister every day. Like, there's times I just cry, and it's okay to cry, man or woman. And you just, you got to figure out a way to push past it because it's life. Life is going to continue. 
every day you wake up, and you got to be blessed to wake up. And people just got to realize from seeing us too in this documentary that, you know, you got you to keep fighting for it. And what's really incredible is that you have turned this unspeakable tragedy into a really remarkable love story. Mm-hmm. And you've allowed everyone to take a peek into yeah. your world. Yeah. Uh, what was that like having cameras around you? I think it started at 25 days before the wedding. The countdown. Uh, yeah, the countdown to the wedding, which was in late August, August 25th, 2019, 50-yard line, Lincoln Financial Field. I had the honor of being the officiator of the, uh, the officiate of the, of the wedding. Yes. I, I, um, I just, I got to tell you, I was able to be the, you know, the MC of the parade, this mm-hmm. parade of champions, and that was very nerve-wracking. But stepping in front of the crowd that you had there and knowing what that day meant to you, I think I may have been more nervous for that. Oh, well, you did amazing. <laughs> so did you guys. It was beautiful. The way it, please, everybody, please watch this. But what was it like having cameras follow every step? It was definitely strange, a little strange. Because um, were, these were such intimate moments and, like, it would usually be private moments. So we had to also have our, like, private and normal reactions just with the camera watching us and still be genuine and just open for the experience. Yeah, just to enjoy the moment. Like, yeah. we had to make sure we enjoyed it first versus anything else. And I believe we did. We enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun. Is it hard to be genuine? Is it hard not to play for the cameras? Um, there's certain moments where I feel like, okay, if I, if I feel a little bit more emotional, I don't want to be so emotional and be that sad girl all the time. I do want to be like happy and like, oh, this is like the best thing ever. But really, all of this is mind blowing. And I get emotional all the time because it's like a dream come true. Like you guys don't understand. Like I didn't think that this would happen. Like, and we're here. Yeah. Yeah. It it must still, like you say, it blow your mind that the Philadelphia Eagles responded to this and then thought so much of the story to turn it into this beautiful documentary that details this loving young couple that overcomes this this craziness yeah. and the hatred out there uh, to put together such a great piece. Um, what kind of relationships have you established within the organization? Just the the pro- going through the process. I know Lynette was a big part of Lynette Camacho yeah, really Lynette, helping you out. Yeah, and she Kavanaugh uh, and everybody. I mean, yes. everybody really put this thing together and did yeah. it right. And just, did you like the piece? Yeah, yeah. I like it. I love the piece, but there's so many people that were integral in, into this whole thing. Just everybody, like I, there's so many people to name. The entire marketing team, and Jessica, she's been with us like every yeah, every time we're she's here. Been our she's our big sister, definitely throughout this whole process. Yeah. And so everybody has really opened their arms for us, like what family. Do you, what do you want people to feel after they watch the documentary? Do you have a sense of of what people are going to come out of it feeling like? Hope is the first thing that comes to mind for me. Faith. Mm-hmm. Belief. Like When you're in those dark moments, you have to have something to pull you out because sometimes you're not around family members or loved ones. You have to pull yourself out. And the only thing that you have inside of you could be hope. So I feel like I hope everybody comes away with a, a sense of stronger hope for themselves and their future as well. Stuff is going to always happen. You just got to believe that you can get through it. Love conquers all? Love yes, conquers sir. all. Here we Love go. conquers all. It's about football. It's about horrible tragedy Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day it's about love and that's the story of sincerely patience thank thank you patience and thank you alex for coming by here and being part of our podcast continued good luck with everything thank you um you guys are living in florida now correct yes Yes. how is florida Lovely. Yeah, you don't want to come back up here and enjoy some of this winter? Uh, I love my Eagles, but uh, I see y'all in the the beginning of the season when it's a little warm. 2020 Philadelphia Eagles will be flying high. Thank you guys so much. Great piece. Thank you.
Sincerelypatience.com is where you can find it. Make sure you check it out. Uh, it is a great story about uh, how the Philadelphia Eagles really embrace this whole yes. idea of love. I thought it was brilliantly done. They're awesome. Yeah, they thank are the you, best. Eagles. Eagles are the best. Thank you, guys. Fly, <laughs> Eagles, fly. Woo! We thank you so much for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Thanks to Trevor Hayes for putting this all together. And thanks to all of you for taking part. Once again, make sure you check out that Sincerely Patience docu-series on SincerelyPatience.com. Everyone, thanks so much for joining. Keep subscribing, passing the word, providing feedback as we march through this offseason and get closer to the start of free agency on March 18th. Have yourselves a great Eagles day, everyone, and fly, Eagles, fly. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles!